0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.27 a.m. in the morning. Hell yeah, bro. It is December the 1st, 2022. One month left. One month left. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? These are good questions to ask. We're coming to the end of what has been a hell of a year, honestly, whether, whether you're in Bitcoin or not, it has been a messed up year for everyone on the planet. And it's just, I don't see it getting, uh, I don't see it stabilizing anytime soon. So the question becomes: Through through the midst of all the chaos, you got one month left in 2022. What are you gonna do? It's a good question to ask yourself. Honestly, um, shall we do boostograms? Uh, let me see if I can get to them very quickly here. I believe that I can. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 Boosts, a P-tar. Oh, finally, I got my P-tar back. I kind of missed that guy. <clears throat> 25,000 sats. The sound of your voice makes me happy, WB. Oh, welcome back. That is very nice of you, P-tar. I appreciate that. Bubba with the big 10,000 says, this is for your vow of poverty. <laughs> yes, it is. Bubba with another 10,000 sat says lops flop. It makes no sense. Smell the roses, not the bullshit. I know it's hard because we're at a stage of bullshit is more dangerous than fake climate change. Yeah, no shit, dude. It is. Um, that's just honestly fake climate change is just in a Venn's diagram or a Venn diagram is just a small section of the bullshit that is being perpetrated upon us. Letter 6173 with the Striper Boost says, Solid album art on the last show. huh? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gentry will like that. Uh, gentry will like appreciate that. Mr. Man with 5,000 sats. No note. Come on, Mr. Man. You got to give me something, bro. You got to give me something. Now, what's going on today? I don't know. Let's find out. Bitcoin Magazine. Zach Voll writing this one, turning garbage into digital gold. The rise of landfill Bitcoin mining. Powering Bitcoin mining machines with literal garbage is an emerging trend within the mining sector as a crop of new companies focus on harnessing this abundant and otherwise wasted energy resource. Contrary To the prevalent political narrative that Bitcoin mining destroys the planet, the efforts of these landfill miners demonstrate that nothing could be further from the truth, as usual. In fact, the net positive effects of these mining teams are enough to silence environmental critics forever. This article explores the early stages of companies building mining operations at landfills and looks at the potential opportunities that this resource, read Trash, presents for Bitcoin. Most instances of discussing landfills and Bitcoin together usually involve very early adopters who mined absurd amounts of cheap Bitcoin on their computers and subsequently lost or discarded the hard drives that contained the fortunes. One early Bitcoin miner is even planning an expensive landfill excavation product to retrieve half a billion dollars in misplaced digital gold. Another landfill made headlines because of its response to an inordinately large amount of incomprehensible foam that one Bitcoin mining company tried to dump. Those crazy stories aside, today's Bitcoin miners target landfills for power to earn new Bitcoin, not as targets for retrieving old ones. Vespine Energy and Excel Plus International are two of the earliest entrants into this new segment of the Bitcoin mining industry. I've heard of other similar projects currently building in stealth. will join them following public announcements coming in the next year or two. In a recent study on the environmental effects of Bitcoin mining, the White House directly mentioned landfill-focused Bitcoin mining efforts. But not all approaches to landfill-powered Bitcoin mining are the same. Vespine, for example, uses landfill methane to fuel Bitcoin mining, according to its website. This business model can quickly affect a non-trivial amount of methane emissions reduction at scale since landfill waste is responsible for about 11% of global methane emissions. XL plus by comparison uses plasma gasification machines to generate thermal energy and also earns disposal fees for the trash it receives from landfills on top of Bitcoin mining rewards. That's a nice two for one deal. So exactly how abundant is trash as a resource for Bitcoin mining? The short answer is very. Here's a bit of data just how on just how plentiful the world supply of trash is. Humans produce 4.5 trillion. That's 4.5 trillion with a T pounds of trash each year. The size of an average landfill is roughly 600 acres. Going to pause there to mention that 640 acres, okay, 40 more, you add 40 acres to this 600, you know, acre average and you've got what's known as a section of land that is one mile on a side, right? So that's a square mile. One square mile. You're talking about an average landfill site of just under one square mile, just to put it into context. Getting back to it, getting an accurate tally of how many landfills exist in the world is almost impossible, but there's a garbage clock that provides a real-time count of how much trash is created each day, Landfills can be an energy bonanza for Bitcoin miners. North America has made headlines for becoming an emerging mecca to Bitcoin mining companies. So for the purpose of this article, it's worth noting that the United States alone is home to more than 3,000 active landfills and roughly 10,000 inactive ones. Those are the ones that they they can't take any more trash. Canada has roughly 3,000 landfills of its own, according to a discussion paper published earlier this year. Both countries were listed in the top five total trash-producing nations, and both countries ranked as the top two countries by per capita waste generation. Yeah, that's not exactly where we wanna be. The line chart below visualizes annual growth in the world's total garbage supply from estimates published by Smithsonian, Smithsonian Magazine in an article asking when the world will hit peak garbage. The answer, not anytime soon. Garbage has some unique advantages as a fuel source that readers should not overlook. For one thing, Its abundance opens a massive opportunity for potential hash rate growth as landfill, methane, capture, and plasma gasification infrastructure is installed. And the data cited in the previous section more than corroborates the plentifulness of trash. For another, landfills are globally distributed. Trash is everywhere. Similar to the distribution of the Bitcoin network itself, miners can go almost anywhere to turn trash into energy for Bitcoin mining. Also, this form of energy is truly stranded and wasted, making miners not just a buyer of last resort for this resource, but also one of the only buyers. Yeah, nobody wants to buy trash. Landfill methane reduction by other means is limited. Lastly, and most importantly, Bitcoin mining at landfills supercharges the environmentally friendly narratives around Bitcoin mining that counteract seemingly non-stop climate activist criticisms. Some reports label landfills as super emitters. Landfills are the world's third largest anthropogenic anthropogenic source of methane. And of the trillions of pounds of trash produced each year, some extremely conservative estimates suggest barely 33% of that waste is handled in any sort of environmentally conscious manner. The stage could not be better set for Bitcoin miners to consume literal trash and reduce methane emissions. Excel Plus, for example, flatly states the pollution reduction advantages of its form of Bitcoin mining. According to its website, quote, The amount of energy consumed by the Bitcoin mining process is vast, expensive, and polluting. By funneling waste coal, garbage, and other hazardous waste streams through our XL Plus plasma gasifier, it can convert 50 tons of waste per day into energy. It's not hyperbolic to say this could be game over for environmental criticisms of Bitcoin mining. Pausing to make a statement. No, it's not. Do you not understand what is going on here? I'm still on my pause, just to be clear here. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. They're, they, these people that espouse the Bitcoin is bad for the environment, it's not because they're green. It's not because they give shit one about the environment. It's because it is a very effective control mechanism to keep Bitcoin squelched as an asset for the people of the world. It doesn't, you can insert, you could insert anything. It's about human trafficking. Bitcoin's bad for human tra- trafficking because it makes human trafficking all the more evident because, pe- I don't know, people are, you know, strapping miners to children's backs and having them walk over the Ural mountains to get somewhere where they can plug the miners in and also sell the children. You name it, it's on the table to squelch Bitcoin. All right. Nothing is going to put, nothing Bitcoin does is going to put anything to quote unquote rest. It's never going to happen. Please stop thinking that it will. We have to just continue to move forward like we will with the article. Most of the headlines from the past few years about miners using stranded energy resources have focused on conventional fuels like solar, natural gas, and other. But garbage production is almost unending to the point that some analysts say that we are running out of room to store it all. And now Bitcoin mining companies are building and deploying technologies to harness literal trash as an energy source for mining. Not only is this a somewhat infinitely renewable resource, using the term in the unconventional but not inaccurate way, but powering the Bitcoin network with trash also undercuts environmental criticisms of Bitcoin since the benefits of limiting trash emission were pretty much indisputable. Landfill mining puts the resourcefulness and creativity of Bitcoin mining on full display, as magic internet money entrepreneurs use energy resources that no one else will or can exploit. Soon, infrastructure for the honey badger of money will be supported by actual garbage, making the world's largest decentralized financial network more resistant than ever. Okay, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I agree with in this in this article by Zach Vole from Bitcoin Magazine, but uh, the main point that I disagree with is that, again, nothing is going to squelch the criticism of Bitcoin. It's like, I mean, do you really think that we're going to go out and let's say that we reduce all methane production on all U.S. landfills down to zero because we're converting all of it at 100% efficiency, which might i remind you is impossible but let's say it is here right we reduce it down to zero no methane's coming out of any landfill anywhere in the united states do you think the criticisms of bitcoin mining as an environmental disaster will go away no here's why heat oh my god these miners are releasing heat into the atmosphere and it's going to artificially expand the thermal footprint of the earth's atmosphere and we're going to go into a greenhouse phase and we're all going to die. It doesn't matter. That's what I I think people are missing this. I'm not saying that these two companies that Zach's talking about in particular are bad. I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know any of the people behind it. I don't know if they're scheming. I I don't know and I don't care. But let's say for the sake of argument that they're 100% above board their technologies work exactly like they say that they're going to work. And 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 they do all this stuff. It's just not going to matter. Will it matter to Bitcoin mining and the security of the network? Sure as shit, yeah. If they have enough, if they got enough hash power, sure. There's no reason why it can't work. Why do I say that? Well, because the the Amarillo or the actually right outside, right north of Canyon, Texas is a pretty large landfill. Um, It's just north of town. And I had to go out there and dump a few things before the move. There was just no way we were going to take, you know, everything with us. And, you know, a lot of it we weren't using anyway. So I had to landfill it, right? While I was out there, I saw these huge pipe stems with what I can only, you know, describe as pressurized valves at the very top. With a whole bunch of spider, at the very top, there was a whole bunch of spider pipes that were smaller than the main pipe going, coming out and going back into the ground. What they were doing is they were collecting methane from this huge landfill and these pipes, these little spider looking things that were coming out of the ground were all over the place. They're not mining, though, and honestly, I didn't even see any power generation. So I don't know where the methane was going, but they sure as shit had the infrastructure to do this. I mean, I, I thought very seriously about going and asking the people that ran that place if they ever considered doing this. But we were about to move. I had better fish to fry, so I didn't. But <clears throat> it's. Let's get back to if it works. Do you think the trash is just going to go away? Like it's all going to dissolve into methane? No, man. You're going to maybe reduce the, the physical tonnage, the, the, the absolute mass of something that's in a landfill. You're going to reduce it by maybe 1% to 3%. And that's being really conservative, right? I mean, pie in the sky, you get 10%. Eh, 10% reduction in mass, what do you think you're going to do? It's like, okay, now it's fine to build houses on and everything's going to be okay? No, man, those landfills are there forever. Now, the plasma gasification, that actually does destroy trash, but I mean, at what scale? And then you're going to get the environmentalists that say, well, what are the what's the emission of the gasifier? Because unless it's pure CO2 and water vapor, then you've got, another, you've got the same problem. Bitcoin mining destroys the environment. And even if it was 100% water vapor and CO2, which represents the complete combustion of any hydrocarbon on the face of the planet from a chemical standpoint, it, it's, it's not going to satisfy these people. They'll just find something else. Let's say we completely destroy the ESG narrative, the E and the S and the G. We completely destroy all three of those sub-narratives inside the main narrative of VSG. They're going to find something else. It supports terrorism is going to be, you know, they can always fall back to that. And again, human and child trafficking. And somehow or another, it'll have something to do with sex. I don't know how, but I, I guarantee you somebody that is evil and conniving will figure it out. I'm just saying, don't don't buy in to any narrative that tells you that we're going to destroy the the environmental anti-environmental narrative surrounding bitcoin. So what do we do? We keep our nodes running and we support the bitcoin network no matter what the network does. That's the only that's the only way I can see to go moving forward. Now, <clears throat> collapsing crypto yield offerings signal extreme duress you're damn skippy it does bitcoin magazine dylan leclaire now this is actually from bitcoin magazine pro so it's an excerpt i i don't have the pro subscription uh you know running on a shoestring over here so i i'm not buying the bitcoin magazine pro subscription not because i don't like bitcoin magazine i love them but dude no i'm 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 I, I gotta buy it. I you know i'm buying food man <laughs> I mean, I'm not destitute or anything, but I try to keep track on what it is I'm spending my money on and food comes first. That's sort of the way that I roll. So we're getting an excerpt, but still, let's get into it. Speculation and yields. This cycle has been supercharged by speculation and yield, leading all the way back to the initial grayscale Bitcoin trust premium arbitrage opportunity that opportunity in the market incentivized hedge funds and trading shops from all over the world to lever up in order to capture the premium spread it was a ripe time for making money especially back in early 2021 before the trade collapsed and switched to the significant discount that we see today the same story existed in the perpetual futures market where we saw seven day average annualized funding rates reach up to 120 percent at peak This is the implied annual yield that long positions were paying in the market to short positions. There were an abundance of opportunities in the GBTC and futures market alone for yield and quick returns to be had without even mentioning the bucket of DeFi, staking tokens, failed projects, and Ponzi schemes that were generating even higher yield opportunities in 2020 and 2021. There's an ongoing, vicious feedback loop where higher prices drive more speculation and leverage, which, in turn, drive higher yields. Now we're dealing with this cycle in reverse. Lower prices wipe out more speculation and leverage while washing out any, quote, yield opportunities. As a result, yields everywhere have collapsed. Total value locked in the Ethereum DeFi ecosystem surpassed over $100 billion in 2021, During the speculative mania, and is now a mere $23.9 billion today. This leverage fueled mania in the crypto ecosystem fueled the growth of the yield products offered by the market, which, or most of which, have all collapsed now that the figurative tide has gone out. This dynamic brought about the rise of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency yield generating products from Celsius to BlockFi to FTX and many, 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 more. Funds and traders capture a juicy spread while kicking back some of those profits to the retail users who keep their coins on exchanges to get a small, tiny trickle amount of interest in yield. Retailers, u- Retail users know little about where the yield actually comes from or the risks that are actually involved. Now, all of those short-term opportunities in the market seem to have poof evaporated. With all of the speculative trades and yield gone, how can companies still offer such high yielding rates that are well above traditional risk-free rates in the market? Where does the yield come from? Not to single out or FUD any specific companies, but take Nexo, for example. Rates for USDC and USDT are still at 10% versus 1% on other DeFi platforms. The same goes for Bitcoin and Ethereum rates, 5 and 6% respectively, while other rates are largely non-existent elsewhere. These high borrow rates are collateralized with Bitcoin and Ether, offering a 50% loan-to-value ratio, while a number of other speculative tokens can be used as collateral as well as much lower LTV. Nexo shared a detailed thread on their business operations and model. As we've found out time and time again, we can never know for sure which institutions to trust or not to trust as this industry deleveraging continues. However, the main questions to ask are one. Will a 13.9% loan demand be a sustainable business model going forward into this bear market? Won't rates have to come down further? Two, regardless of Nexo's risk management practices, are there heightened counterparty risks currently for holding customer balances on numerous exchanges and DeFi protocols? Hmm, Good questions to ask. The crypto native credit impulse. A metric that is not perfectly quantifiable but imperfectly observable via a variety of data sets and market metrics has plunged from its 2021 euphoric highs and now looks to be extremely negative. This means that any remaining product that is offering you crypto native yield is likely to be under extreme duress as the arbitrage strategies that fueled the explosion in yield products throughout the bull market cycle have all disappeared. What remains and what will emerge from the depths of this bear market will be the assets and projects built on the strongest of foundations. In our view, there is Bitcoin and then there is everything else. Readers should evaluate counterparty risks in all of its forms and stay away from any of the remaining yield products that exist in the market. Yes, and as we're going to see later on in the show, that shit is still continuing. Leeches are in the water. I mentioned that shit yesterday. Do not go swimming in this stagnant pool of crap. You will come out with parasites all over your ass. Now, what's next? CFTC Chief says Bitcoin is the only commodity in the wake of the FTX collapse. Prashant Jha from Cointelegraph The chief of the United States Commodities Futures Trading Commission, Rostin Benham, claimed Bitcoin is the only crypto asset that can be viewed as a commodity during an invite-only crypto event at Princeton University, reported Fortune magazine. Benham's comments are quite a contrast to his earlier statements in October, where he claimed Ether could also be viewed as a commodity. The CFTC chief was answering a question on which crypto assets should be seen as commodities and which ones qualify as securities. The CFTC chief's backtracking of his comments on ETH comes in the wake of heavy scrutiny of U.S. regulators and accusations of corruption, with Republican lawmakers accusing the SEC chair of coordinating with FTX to obtain regulatory monopoly. The debate over which cryptocurrencies qualify as commodities under the law has been a long drawn out one. Bitcoin is unanimously seen as a non-security because of its true decentralized nature, whereas the status of Ether and several other cryptocurrencies have been a fairly controversial topic. Ripple is currently facing a security lawsuit from the SEC as well. The American financial regulator has found itself in hot waters in the wake of the FTX crypto exchange collapse primarily because of its association with the exchange. CFTC was poised, poised I tell you, poised, Where, I lost my place, I'm poised. Where the hell's my place? Oh my God, I, I, I cannot find it. Uh, CFTC was poised (laughs) to receive oversight capacity through proposed Senate legislation called the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, while the CFTC chief faced a lot of criticism for the same but defended the commission's actions claiming they don't have the luxury to wait. Benham said the committee has limited oversight powers and blamed the matrix of regulators as an imperfect system. However, he called for better collaboration among the long list of regulatory bodies to come up with formidable regulations. The CFTC chief is slated for a congressional hearing today, December the 1st, discussing the collapse of the now bankrupt crypto exchange FTX and the lessons learned from that debacle. The close ties of former SCEO Sam Bankman fried with U.S. policymakers and his lobbying efforts to make CFTC the primary crypto regulatory body has been questioned by many in the crypto community. A recent report also alleged that eight, no less than eight, United States Congress people tried to stop the SEC from inquiring into FTX. What does that tell you? Corruption, that's what it tells me corruption is everywhere. So I don't know if I would take this to heart because anybody who's out there reading it, screaming, yay, the SEC or the CFTC is going to declare ether as a security, or it's going to, it's going to say it's that ether is not a commodity because the CFTC can't call something a security. That's not their bag. That's for the Securities and Exchange Commission. But see, here's the way it kind of works this way the CFTC can look at something and say, that's a commodity. The SEC can't say anything about that unless they sue the FTC in court, in the United States federal court, by the way, and say, no, we disagree. Here's our arguments. That's where they're going to make their argument is in, is in a, a court trial. So that it, it's sort of the way that that works. Now, the SEC, what they won't do is if, the, if the CFTC calls something or says like, hey, X, or let's say in this case, Ether is not a commodity, the SEC is, I'm 100% sure the SEC will not file a court case in federal court to the, uh, uh, against the CFTC to say, no, you're wrong, it is a commodity. Why? Because the SEC wants regulatory power over anything that can be deemed a security. And if the CFTC deems something not a commodity, that puts it squarely in the court, bouncing as a ball in SEC's hands. SEC isn't going to fight that shit. But I would, I would caution people that are cheering, saying, well, this means that it's a, a security. Not necessarily. The SEC may not rule anything at all. And further and even closer to this, maybe making his statements, he just left out the word Ether. He may still consider Ether a commodity. He'd actually have to say the sentence thusly. The token of Ethereum that is known as Ether is not a commodity as far as the CFTC is concerned. Here's all the data that we've accumulated. Here's the investigation. It is not a commodity. We're gonna kick this over to the SEC. It would have to be a sentence like that for people to stand up and cheer and not get their asses handed to them. What's next? Legal professionals are astonished as Sam bankman fried admits failures, apologizes, 12 times in an interview. Stephen Kate has it for Cointelegraph. We're going to talk about his whole interview yesterday. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried apologized or admitted failure at least 12 times during his appearance at the New York Times Deal Book Summit on November the 30th. In a wide-ranging video interview, Bankman-Fried was asked to answer a number of questions surrounding the downfall of the now-defunct exchange and some even suggesting that some of his statements could be used to incriminate him in legal proceedings. Yeah, he probably should have had a fucking lawyer along with him, huh? In a November 30th Twitter post, crypto attorney Jeremy Hogan, partner at Hogan & Hogan, said that the light cross-examination of Bankman-Fried at the Dealbook Summit has already returned at least three incriminating statements so far. Alan Rosca from the law firm Rosca Scarlato said it was pretty astonishing that he's in effect testifying at the deal book summit. Hard to think of a precedent for this. Yes, because he wasn't sitting next to a lawyer because the lawyer would have put his hand or her hand on top of Sam bankman Fry's hand and squeezed it and said, and that's, that's the, when you see that shit happen at testimony, that's the lawyer saying, shut the fuck up. You're about to screw everything up. Sam Bankman-Fried, as far as I know, was sitting there with no legal representation whatsoever. He put himself into a hole, a big one. An apology, oh, sorry, quote, clearly I made a lot of mistakes or things I would give anything to be able to do over again, end quote. That was the first concession coming from Bankman-Fried while the greeting interviewer, Andrew Sorkin, when he was actually referencing the collapse of FTX. An apology came moments later when Sorkin confronted him with a letter written by an FTX customer who lost $2 million in life savings after the exchange collapsed. Quote, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. End quote, said Bankman Fried in response to the customer's story. Later, when discussing the allegations that Alameda used FTX client funds to cover loans, Bankman-Fried said that while he didn't know exactly what was going on at Alameda, he concedes it was still his duty as FTX CEO to make sure I was doing diligence. Quote, A lot of these things that I've learned over the last month that I learned, hmm, I marked that as pretty big oversight that I wasn't more aware of, he said. Jesus, is that a direct quote? My God, the the kid can't even talk at this point. Bankman-Fried admitted failure again when quizzed about FTX's former standing in the industry and the loss of trust in crypto now that the exchange has collapsed, stating, quote, I mean, like, look, I screwed up, end quote further quote I was CEO I was the CEO of FTX and I mean I say this again and again that that means I had a responsibility that means that I was responsible ultimately for doing the right things and I mean we didn't like we messed up big in quote Oh my god he continued to concede FTX's failings stating quote There absolutely were management failures, oversight failures, and transparency failures, end quote. Toward the end of the interview, thank God it's going to finally end, Sorkin directly asked Bankman-Fried whether he had been truthful with the audience and whether he agreed that there had been times that he had lied. Bankman-Fried said he wasn't aware of any times that he lied, but explained that there were times when asking as a representative or marketer, for FTX that he would paint FTX as compelling as possible. Quote, I wasn't talking about w- what are the risks involved in FTX. I obviously wish that I had spent more time dwelling on the downside and less time thinking about the upsides. hmm Bankman fried was asked what his lawyers are telling him at the moment and whether it was a good idea for him to be speaking publicly. He answered, very much not. Quote, I mean, you know, the classic advice, don't say anything, recede into a hole. End quote. No, seriously, that's the actual sentence, guys. uh, Continuing, Bankman fried said he believes he has a duty to talk to people and explain what happened and to try to do what's right. I don't see what good is accomplished by me just sitting locked in a room pretending the outside world doesn't exist, he explained. While the interview appeared to cover a number of confronting issues for Bankman-Fried, some in the community still believed that the questions were not challenging enough, nor was there an adequate follow-up to some of the hard-hitting questions. A Twitter poll launched by self-proclaimed crypto trader Cantering Clark found that more than half of the over 1,100 respondents believe Sorkin softballed the interview with Bankman-Fried. Okay, well... There's so much wrong with this shit. It's not even funny. First of all, this interview, is it an interview or is it an interrogation? Is it an interview or is it a Senate hearing? It, I mean, it, it, I'm confused as to why he was even invited. Now he's going on tour, Sam Bankman-Fried is. He's apparently going on tour to you know, get softballed and, and basically laundered by every news and media organization under the sun right now, but let's stick with this. First of all, I stated that I don't think he's got a lawyer in the room with him. Maybe he did, but if he had a lawyer in the room with him and he continued to make these statements, then that lawyer did not do a good job in being a lawyer for Sam bankman fried I don't like Sam bankman fried But you have to understand, you have to understand that if you're going to take on the job as being legal counsel for somebody, you have to do your level best to be the legal counsel. And by allowing Sam Bankman-Fried to make some of these statements, they clearly failed in their commitment to Sam Bankman-Fried as legal representation. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Uh, again, watch, watch. For, well, I will say watch for Sam Bankman-Fried as he goes on tour. I think he's going to be interviewed by Good Morning America this morning or something like that. Maybe he already has. Uh, I think they're going to launder his ass, just like he helped uh, the United States launder money back to itself through uh, Ukraine. United I should say the United States federal government. I'm, I, I don't have a problem with America in the United States. What I have a problem with is the federal government. They've, they've detached themselves from anything that is even remotely American. All okay? right. So just keep that in mind. Uh, we're not going to do that one. Let's do, let's see what this one is. Ah, uh, let's save that one until after, after we run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, up just below two full points to $82.15. Brent North Sea up 1.16% to $87.98. Natural gas is down 1.2% to $6.84 per 1,000 cubic feet. Gasoline down over half a point to $2.37. Peter Schiff, if you're still on Twitter, I'm not, so I get to miss this, but Peter Schiff is going to be all over the Bitcoiners today. Gold up 3.18% to $1,815. Silver is up over 5% to $22.88. Platinum up 1.37. Copper up 1.9. And Palladium is up just under four full points. Agricultural futures are or ag, ag is mostly down. It's way past futures time. Wheat down 1.29, soybeans. Soybeans is the biggest loser, down 2.74%, followed by coffee, 2.56% to the downside. Only, only winner today is chocolate, up 1.04%. That's in the form of cocoa. Uh, Dow down 0.63%. S&P down 0.1%. NASDAQ down 004 And S&P mini down 0.23%. That was after a pretty good run that they all had yesterday because of, well, some remarks that were made by Jerome Powell. We'll get to that, I think, later. 13,021 transactions waiting a nine blocks to clear. We have a $326.4 billion market cap. That's 2.65% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 9.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin of which there are 19,221,000. 642.17 of and 5,080 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $86.2 million over 15,980. Dude, we lost 30 nodes from yesterday. Come on guys, but we still somehow or another have 76,305 payment channels and 68.6% of all that's being run over tours associated 11,232 Lightning nodes. The price of Bitcoin as it stands right now is $16,974. You can pick up one or one cuck buck will pick you up 5,891 Satoshis. You can do transactions at one Satoshi per V-byte. And hash rate is at 248.8 exahashes per second as an average over the last 2016 blocks. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two, the news that you can use. Remember in the first part, I was we were doing that story about yields collapsing and that Dil, it was a Dylan LeClaire piece from Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Uh, I mentioned while I was reading that, that we'll see something later and here it is. Now, reminder... That particular article was about the collapsing yields of quote-unquote DeFi protocols and leverage and all that kind of shit that's got us here in the first place, and all of it's collapsing. And Dylan and uh, the associated co-author, I, I don't know if it, I think there was a co-author, uh, said that anybody offering yield at this point is probably in desperation. And that means that they're desperate for your money, otherwise they're going to go insolvent, and they're probably going to go and solve it anyway. And if you give them your money, that money becomes theirs forever. You will never get it back. Now, with that said, check this shit out. KuCoin draws ire for sky-high yields on Bitcoin and dual investment earn products. Oh boy. Stacey Elliott tells us more decrypt. There was a time when having sky-high annual percentage rates on crypto yield products felt like the best way to drive adoption. That time has passed. This week, crypto exchange KuCoin is facing scrutiny because its KuCoin Earn page boasts annual percentage rates of 233.15% on Ethereum, 253.28% on Bitcoin, and 100% on Tether deposits. Although the company's website says that the tether rates are part of a promotion, the ETH and BTC rates listed correspond with with an advanced dual investment KuCoin earned product. They want both both of them. All the attention has sent 24-hour volumes on the exchange, which was $640 million yesterday up to $862 million today, making it the fifth largest centralized exchange by normalized volume according to CoinGecko. I am going to pause right here. Because if you if for whatever reason you hit a bump in the road and you didn't hear it over the last 24 hours. What was a 640 million dollar volume yesterday on their earn products for KuCoin was up to $862 million today. We're not talking about shit that happened last week or before FTX fell. We're talking about what's going on over the last 48 hours after all of this shit is known, after all of the scams are being are being brought to light, after all the cockroaches are seen and witnessed scurrying everywhere because somebody turned the lights on, thank you CZ for turning the lights on, and people are still putting their money into this thing. Let that sink in. Oh my God. Nobody is going to learn anything from this one either. And they still they still have yet to go through the complete collapse of all the staking bullshit that's going to happen. I told you about that yesterday. That is going to happen. They haven't even gotten there yet. And they're shoving real money, real, actual money of their own. This is from fucking retail, people. Into this shit to try to get 253% yield? on their Bitcoin and they think that they're going to get it. I sometimes I weep for humanity and maybe it is that 80% of humanity's got to get wiped off the face of the planet. You know, I, you know, I know that's a terrible thing to even conceive of, but it start I'm starting to like look at the world economic forum and and Klaus Schwab and I mean, he's an evil son of a bitch. He is. But I, I kind of get where they're coming from at this point. Are Is that much humanity that stupid? After all of this, you still are putting your money into it. If you're listening to this show, do not do that. This is investment advice. Yes, you may miss out. You may miss out on... on not losing your money and possibly getting a little bit more. But chances are good that you're going to lose all of your money. You'll lose it all. And if you're leveraged up in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you're going to lose even more. You'll be in fucking debt. Do not do it. Yes, this is investment advice. Do not go to yield products. We're going to have to wait for quality yield products to occur well after the collapse of staking. You're talking five to 10 years from now, five to 10 years, and that's probably being conservative, just saying, continuing. This whole thing has raised some eyebrows on crypto Twitter, along with defenders who have dismissed the criticisms as FUD. Of course they did. Dual investment products are derivatives that allow clients to deposit money in one currency like BTC and potentially make a profit by withdrawing it in another currency like UST when the contract expires and needs to be settled. They tend to offer high interest rates because they can be very risky. That's because it's a non-principle protected product. So rather than just earning a lousy or no return on the funds that were deposited, investors risk receiving less money than they put in. It's the reason why critics of these products like DeFi Pulse, co-founder Scott Lewis, call these sorts of schemes predatory. But the timing of the product's debut on Wednesday rattled users who think it's an attempt to get more deposits onto the exchange. It is, I'm telling you, it is, man. At the start of the month, after problems started cropping up for now bankrupt FTX, CEO Johnny Liu said on Twitter, quote, protecting users' funds, is the top priority at KuCoin. We will release Merkle Tree Proof of Reserves, or POF, in about one month, end quote. KuCoin published the balances of some of its wallets and their addresses on November the 11th, the same day that FTX filed for bankruptcy, but hasn't yet provided an audit from a third-party accounting firm. Meanwhile, DeFi Llama and Nansen list their reserves at $2.2 billion and $2.5 billion, respectively. However, there isn't any way for the public to know, based on on on-chain data or proof of reserves attestations, what an exchange's liabilities are, or if the exchange has enough assets on hand to cover said liabilities. The main KuCoin Updates account spent the better part of the day fielding complaints from users who could not withdraw their funds and pointing people to a blog post about its dual investment product. Representatives for KuCoin did not respond for decrypts or to decrypts requests for comment. Of course, they're not because they're they're about to go bust and they're going to take every dime that you put on their exchange with them. Continuing, both the main KuCoin Twitter account and Lou have been trying to dispel rumors that the exchange is insolvent, meaning that it doesn't have enough assets to cover debts. "Quote KuCoin's dual investment product has raised some real buzz," Lou wrote. Wednesday morning, quote, please note that it's not a staking or guaranteed interest product, and it can imply earning passive income with potential risks. Incredibly high interest rates have been drawing scrutiny across the industry. They're the reason detractors refer to any crypto project as a Ponzi scheme, where early investors are paid huge returns using money from more recent investors. The illusion continues for as long as the originator can keep bringing in new investors. If a user clicks the icon to expend the ETH row on the KuCoin Earn website, they'll see that the rates on staking ETH, 4.39%, and depositing it into a savings account, 2%, are less eye-catching. So they may straight up be lying to your ass to get your money. And they are. I mean, no matter, no matter which way this rolls out, they're lying to everybody. They are trying to get everybody's money. They are most likely insolvent, and we will probably see them go belly up either before Saturday or on this weekend or shortly thereafter. That's my prediction. I'm sticking to it. Now, BlackRock. BlackRock CEO says, next generation for markets is tokenization. Before I begin this piece by Will McCurdy out of Decrypt.co, I must make a statement here. I've heard several people in the know, and, and this is all public. This is from web, you know, from uh, uh, podcasts that I listen to. These are from Twitter messages that I get over on Mastodon. This is public. I don't have an ear. You know, I can't pick up the phone and talk to an insider at BlackRock. I don't do that, right? I don't have those kind of connections. But what I have been hearing is that BlackRock may actually be the next Lehman moment for the world. Now, I don't know. But BlackRock, if BlackRock goes under, it's going to make the Lehman thing look like nothing actually happened back in 2008 because of the amount of assets that they have under management. And here we have the CEO Who swears up and down that the next generation for markets is tokenization? Larry Fink said that the next generation for markets, the next generation for securities indeed, will be the tokenization of said securities. In the world of blockchain, tokenization refers to a process where a digital representation of an asset is created on a blockchain, authenticating its transaction and ownership history. This approach enables a different way to trade assets like stocks, bonds, real estate, or even alternative assets like land, wine, art, you know, allowing the transfers to be visible on a public ledger. Speaking at a New York Times deal book event alongside, I guess, Sam Bankman-Fried, Fink argued that tokenization will provide instantaneous settlement and reduced fees Despite these advantages, he added that the development of this type of technology wouldn't disrupt BlackRock's business model. Mm -hmm. Alongside the promise of blockchain, the CEO said, rather, he also touched on several current economic issues, including the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the changing role of China, and the global inflationary pressure that has impacted most developed economies this year. But it's definitely not just BlackRock that is betting on tokenization. As the future of financial services, Flow Carbon, uh-huh. Flow Carbon, a startup tokenizing carbon credits led by former WeWork founder Adam Newman, recently attracted 70 million dollars of investment from prominent investors such as, you guessed it, A16Z as well as General Catalyst and Samsung Venture Investment. In November, JP Morgan turned to Polygon to trade tokenized cash deposits in a Singapore-based trial via Onyx Digital Assets, a private blockchain created by a bank. The bank has also promoted the benefits of tokenization in some of its white papers, saying tokenization could potentially enable financial services to be delivered in a more open manner. Despite his bullish view on the future of tokenization, the CEO said he believes that most cryptocurrency-related companies are not going to be around in the future, though he did say that blockchain technology will be very important. Commenting on the FTX scandal that has defined crypto markets over the past month, he said the FTX's fatal flaw was creating its own token. One of the initial triggers of the FTX meltdown was Binance selling off its huge stock of FTX's FTT token near the beginning of the month following reports of heavy cross-pollination between FTX and its sister Alameda Research. Larry Fink clarified that the value of his firm's investment in the bankrupt exchange was $24 million, though it was held in a subsidiary fund of funds, that's in quotes, and not in the core part of BlackRock's business. Well, even if it was, Larry, it's not going to do any damage to you and you know it. Your damage is going to come later when people find out that you've been doing the same shit only in uh, the legacy financial way of doing said same shit. So tokenization, where have we heard this shit before? That's right. If you've been in the space for longer than a few years, you heard tokenization before you heard of SushiSwap. He's recycling the same bullshit probably because he knows that he's probably going to go under two and he needs a safe ship to jump off on until he sinks that son of a bitch too. all these people are leeches and parasites. That's all they are. They're leeches and parasites. That's why home prices are so high. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why you can't get a car anymore for, you know, an actual price that your salary can afford. That's why going to the grocery store to pick up one sack of groceries costs at Safeway. Ask me how I know. I'm telling you, man. When the body is infested with parasites, it is the rancher's job to put that body down. Except that this body is probably about 90% of humanity. And I don't want Klaus Schwab being the rancher. It's just a bad situation. Now... The CFTC commissioner wants a two-tier crypto rule set for retail investors versus millionaires. Alice Key for Decrypt.co, the CFTC chief, has proposed that the average crypto investor should get different protection, you know, from professional and you know, high net worth individuals because retail are just scum. In remarks prepared for a conference in Singapore, Commodity Futures Trading Commission Commissioner Christy Goldsmith Romero said the current regime's definition of a retail investor is too broad, covering everything from average household to millionaires and hedge funds. She proposed that the CFTC should have two categories of retail customers so that additional protections can be targeted to each group. Oh, how nice of them. Quote, What is safe and affordable for a millionaire or hedge fund is likely to be very different for regular people who want to access markets but cannot afford to lose, you know, everything. She added that she was not seeking to cut off the average investor's access to the markets altogether, but would seek public input on what kinds of extra protection should be afforded to these users. Initial ideas include easy to understand disclosures and limitations on leverage, but she was critical of the shift towards giving users direct access to the markets via trading apps, saying that a broker traditionally adds an extra layer of protection for the customer. Quote, I caution against market structures that remove a broker's duties to retail customers without a full assessment of what will be lost, she said. Romero also called for her agency to invoke heightened supervision of crypto exchanges, adding she had been calling for such a move internally for months. Appearing to criticize the CFTC and tie its inaction to the failure of crypto exchange FTX, she said, quote, despite my multiple requests, the CFTC has not implemented heightened supervision. My proposal should take on urgency in light of recent events. The CFTC, which shares oversight of the crypto industry with Securities and Exchange Commission, is one of the agencies that has come under fire in the wake of FTX's collapse with critics arguing that regulators should have done more to prevent this disaster. CFTC Chair Rostin Benham has in recent days called for more regulation, defending his own agency's role in the debacle, saying action was needed from lawmakers. He was speaking at an event at Princeton University, filling in a slot during which the scheduled keynote speaker had originally been, you guessed it, Sam Bankman-Fried. SBF, for his part, seems to agree with Benham. In the recent interview, he said, Regulation could have protected FTX from collapse. (laughs) I I wish that I had more reporting and transparency to outside parties, he said. Benham is set to appear in front of a Senate Agriculture Committee today as part of a hearing focused on whether congressional action is needed in response to the FTX crisis. Why the Agriculture Committee, you may ask? Because the CFTC was set up by the Agriculture Committee way back in the day when a whole bunch of traders were trading onions on the New York, it was either Chicago Commodities Board or in New York, I can't remember, but they were trading onions as a commodity And a whole bunch of people went long on it. And the onion market just got absolutely wiped out. And the onion farmers decided since they weren't going to get any of their money, they might as well go ahead and deliver the onions directly to the floor of the commodities exchange. And they just dumped tons of raw onions outside of the steps, on the street, on the sidewalks, anywhere they could dump it. And you can imagine, you can imagine, what kind of mess that shit was now i don't know if that happened in the summer or the winter i can only hope that it happened in the fall when everything was getting cold so that the onions didn't smell because if they did dump them in the summer that's an added aggravation for obvious reasons now that's why that's why people from the commodities trade or the CFTC goes and sits in front of the Agricultural Committee because the Ag Committee is their oversight, just to be clear about that. Moving on, next one up, Bitcoin and Ethereum jump as Jerome Powell signals slowing rate hikes. I alluded to this one earlier. This is Matt DeSalvo for Decrypt.co. Bitcoin and the wider crypto market jumped Wednesday after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said in a speech that December would likely bring smaller interest rate hikes. The biggest cryptocurrency by market cap was trading for $17,100 at the time of writing, up 2% in the hours after Powell's speech and over 4% in the past 24 hours, according to CoinGecko. Shitcoin number one, the second largest digital asset, jumped even more, of course, and was up over 6% in 24 hours, trading hands for $1,287. Every other major digital asset was up following the comments by Powell. Quote, the time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the the December meeting, he said. The central bank has this year upped interest rate 0.75 percentage points four times in order to get inflation currently at a 40-year high in the United States under control. It is expected the Fed will At its final meeting next month, raise interest rates by 0.5 percentage points. Oh, oh joy. The crypto market has closely followed U.S. equities this year. This is because investors largely consider them risk assets. And with the Federal Reserve's aggressive monetary policy to get inflation in the United States under control, it has been a better bet to avoid risk and instead go to safe havens like, you know, the dollar. The U.S. dollar dipped on Wednesday following Powell's speech, however. U.S. stocks rallied with the S&P 500 up 2%. Trader Ryan Scott told Decrypt that it was more clear than ever that the Fed was going to cool down, it's tightening, but that, quote, they don't want to make it so explicit that they loosen market conditions again, leading to a ramp up in stocks. Who knows where this shit's going? But I know where the library is going. LBRY says... Its company has been killed by legal and SEC debts. Another one bites the dust. Uh-oh. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. Another one bites these things are dropping like flies, man. Matt DeSilvo again for Decrypt. The company behind Blockchain Publishing Platform Library, or LBRY, wrote its own obituary on Twitter yesterday after losing the fight with the SEC earlier this month. In Monday tweets, Library Incorporated said that it has, quote, been killed by legal and SEC debts. In a follow-up tweet, the company made clear that Library Incorporated must die, Through but though the library protocol and blockchain will continue. Oh, isn't that nice? Earlier this month, Library Incorporated, which set up the library protocol and blockchain, lost a year-long battle with the SEC. Library Incorporated CEO Jeremy Kaufman told Decrypt that the company didn't yet have an exact figure for the SEC fine, but the regulatory body was pushing for $20 million in penalty. The regulatory body said that the company offered and sold unregistered securities in the form of library tokens. Library Incorporated claimed their tokens weren't securities, but rather its native LBC token and functions as a digital currency that is an essential component to the library blockchain. End quote. Judge Peter Barbadoro on November the 7th sided with the SEC. Quote, since any information given privately to the SEC ends up leaking, we'd like to be upfront about the fact that library will likely be dead in the near future, the company said via Twitter yesterday. It added, we expect the library mission to continue on, but the company itself has been killed by legal and SEC debts. Library was a blockchain-based platform that allows users to share video content without third-party intermediaries. It has in the past described itself as a decentralized YouTube of sorts and boasted of its lack of censorship on the platform. Library Incorporated sold digital assets in the form of LBC tokens to fundraise for the platform from at least the, wow, July 2016 to February 2021, the SEC said. In March of last year, the SEC alleged that library received 12.2 million from the token sales, but didn't register it as a security. Experts previously told Decrypt that this ruling gives the SEC a leg up if it wants to label all cryptocurrency securities and target digital asset exchanges like Coinbase in the future. I'm pretty sure that they will. Kaufman said last month that the SEC has very much demonstrated that they are out to damage or destroy the cryptocurrency industry in the United States. And the entire cryptocurrency industry should be destroyed. Why? As a Bitcoin maximalist, would I say that? Because Bitcoin is not a security, nor is it a cryptocurrency. It is something entirely different. The leeches saw Bitcoin and started rubbing their hands Immediately after the white paper drop, I guarantee it. They're trying to figure out how they could do the same thing, only steal people's money. And yeah. This is what you get for it. This is exactly what you get. Now, we'll just end today with this one. It's a very short one. Why the Jackery Rebellion scares French bankers to death. This is out of bitcoinnews.com written by Austin Littman, and it is very short. During the 1300s, England and France, they didn't get along. There were hundreds of years of war, and some called it the Hundred Years' War. The elites were getting arrogant and did not view peasants as people anymore. Peasants were being forced to defend against knights on horseback while the noblemen would flee. This was happening in cities all across Western Europe. The elites were even making the middle class pay for damages to their property caused by the war. Even if they defended and fought bravely, social unrest was brewing. They couldn't afford the war anymore, and France raised taxes on its citizens to fund it. This was the last straw for them. About 20,000 peasants revolted, and 1,000 of the French middle class supplied them with weapons and helped them fight. One of the first things they did was decapitate all central bankers. Today, bankers in France are traumatized by the word Jackery. It's like saying Voldemort in Harry Potter. Told you it was short. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Except this actually isn't from Dad Says Jokes. This is actually something that I just picked up off of Mastodon through the Vetiverse. I got an email explaining how to read maps backwards. It was spam. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. I recommend Fountain App. That's right. I've been recommending Fountain App as your podcatcher for a while. You can fill it full of Satoshis and stream those bad sons of bitches right to me while I stream you these dulcet tones. And if you'd like to send me a message or have an idea for me to do or just want to announce a marriage or your child's birth, I don't care. Send me a boostagram. You can do that shit through Fountain App too. It's amazing what that thing can do. Now, what did we learn today? Same thing we learned yesterday. There are leeches in the water, there are parasites all around, and pretty much, I guess, I get to go ahead and be conservative and say 80% of humanity is just too stupid to live. I shouldn't say that, I really shouldn't, but dude, when I see somebody piling into yield products after the entire thing has vaporized, I gotta wonder, I would I'd gotta wonder, I, you know, I don't know what the hell's going to happen in the future, but I guarantee you one thing you need to find people that are not stupid to hang around. My dad used to tell me something about working on an oil rig. Uh, it's one of the most da- working on an oil platform, actually up on the platform on an explorer, what's called an exploration. That's sort of where they they think that there's oil all, you know, all the elements and all the data says that there's oil underneath this hole. That's when they build the drilling rig. That's called exploration. That platform where the thing, where the pipe is actually spinning and the roughnecks are on top and they're pulling the pipes apart and putting them back together again and doing all the shit. That's the platform. That is probably the, it's definitely one of the top five most dangerous places to work because you're working under not only a load as in there's mass above your head but it's moving that mass is moving because there is an engine there's a hydraulic engine that actually helps spin the pipe there's also a collar In the deck of the oil platform, it is also spinning. So there is movement all around you. You can lose fingers and toes and legs and arms. You can lose all kinds of shit, including your life, if you're not fucking careful. It is one of the most dangerous places that you can ever be. And that's what yield products are. It is the most dangerous place you can be. And if you want to make it doubly or triply or 10x or 100x even more dangerous than that, then by all means, use some leverage with it. And the uninitiated and the, I hate to say it, but the unsophisticated are just walking up the stairway through the doghouse and right onto the platform and having cocktails. That's what this is. When KuCoin... Was saying that you're going to get 253% back on depositing Bitcoin. That is a desperate move. Do not expect KuCoin to last very much longer. It's going to go down. I I still haven't heard anything about Grayscale, Gemini, and you know DCG yet as to whether or not they are personally going to go down. I did see that Jim uh, and some people I think with Gemini have met with potential bankruptcy lawyers? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to FUD anything, but I heard that one of the the DCG or Grayscale or Gemini, they're all kind of in this little bag. Somebody was meeting with people that are familiar with bankruptcy proceedings. That's all I know. And that was public too. I don't have a phone. I'm not calling up the Gemini twins, you know, the, the Winklevi. I'm not calling them up on the phone saying, hey, bro, what's going on? No, this is all public information. As to the veracity of that public information, I don't know. So you got to take it with a grain of salt, but stay away from yield and stay away from yield from now on. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.